Just a young gun with a quick fuse. I was uptight, want to let loose. I was dreaming of bigger things and want to leave my old life behind. Not a yes, sir. Not a follower. Fit the box, fit the mold. Have a seed in the foyer. Take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. <laughs> Magic Dragons. Yeah. Yeah, it's a my, great my, track. My, you know what? I, I'm not saying I'm a huge fan, but... There, there's I, a couple of tracks that are good. I have twins. They're eight years old. And they love and it? They love, they love them to the level where for their birthday this year, they were like, why don't we... They're playing in Vegas in November, and they wanted to go out and see them. And we were like, it's an option, but it ended up being a, a festival that, that was 19 plus. Yeah. But <laughs> my kids love it. Did them. they enjoy it? Huh? They no, did? we never went. Oh, so you never went? It's, it's coming up in November, but it's okay. a festival, so it wouldn't work out. But uh, like, but like that was like their ideal birthday. They're like, let's just go see them. So That's we awesome. listen to, to everything Imagine Dragons in the car. <laughs> Harp, welcome to the show. It's good Thank to you have you here me. on the mic, right? So obviously these shows are doing uh, they're doing extremely well because construction and unfortunately law go hand in hand. <laughs> hey, I built a career out of it, right? So <laughs> it's, just, it's just how it is. So yeah, we've got. Okay, I guess you're uh, a lawyer, or uh, what's the official title here? I'm a lawyer. Yeah. A lawyer, right? Yeah. So and then you practice specifically specifically construction law. Law, that's okay, and that's that, that's what you dabble in. Yep, that's and, that's basically everything we do at the firm. It's construction law, and then sometimes I like to say property law as well because there is kind of gets it, it all. It's all the same. Yes. Yeah, it's all the same, just different. Okay. elements of it let me let me just share out the details here so it's harp cook is here and it's www.corestone.ca and you can reach him on his own email at harp at corestone.ca or at the general email which is info at corestone.ca and on ig you can find them at corestone underscore law and then the phone numbers you can reach them directly at your line which is 416-731-1706 or the actual main line which is 416-591-2222 Quick shout out to Joe. I'm wearing his tee, JR Windows and Doors. Hey, Joe, what's up? How's it going? I always wear a different person's uh, company's tee or what have you. If you got any core stone swag, I'll, throw I'll, it on. I'll get you some. I'll throw it on. I'll throw it on. <laughs> so um, I like to always start the show. I guess, why did you choose this and how long you've been doing specifically the construction law and property law? Why did I choose it? Okay, so... Okay, if, if I wanted to move back to like kind of where my interest comes from, I think my... Family was always very property oriented. Okay. So my dad was in furniture. He built furniture, but then on the side, he would he'd kind of renovate homes, him and my brother. Um, and I think I had an interest just in general property, just residential, just, you know, just the whole concept of land, property. And then when I started articling, which is kind of the training you yep. do as a lawyer, um, back in 08, 09. Your apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I did that in Hamilton. Okay. Um you know, I kind of fell into a firm that, that did a little bit of this construction property stuff, but they mostly did um, other type of insurance defense work. And I quickly was like, you know what? The subject matter interests me. So when it came to like the insurance work, it was a lot of MVA accidents, slip and fall accidents, like those things, they didn't interest me as much as much as the, the property disputes did, the, the construction liens and whatnot. So there, then I just, you know, the next job I took was, was a firm in, in Toronto. It specializes in engineering defense work. So just representing engineering companies and went there 2010 and just kind of, that's all I've done. So now Is for there like 13, a lot of that going on, the engineering stuff? Yes, very much. So I would say a good 20, 30% of my practice is engineering defense work where we represent engineering companies. Like major structural issues or? Every type. 
Really? Everything. Like every, uh, how small and how big it, it could be. You know, I've, I've I've dealt with major you know issues on on massive hotels to like very minor, just like home issues. And remember, an engineer isn't just structural, right? An engineer is coming in different facets. So yeah. you know, I've done stuff like um, an engineer being sued for like. Um, noise in a building, acoustic engineer, yep. right? So it's yeah. it's not just the classical. It's interesting that you just said that because we just did a sound podcast. Yeah. And that was the number one litigation regarding structures. There you go. It's sound transfer. It's sound, yeah. So I, I've represented them and then, you know, just kind of got into the engineering community. I became counsel to the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers. Sorry, not counsel to OSPI. So yeah, so the, the society, there's, there's PEO, which is the regulatory body. Okay. And then they have OSPI, which is the advocacy body. So it's kind of split in two. And I'm counsel to to the advocacy body. So that's kind of given me a lot of clientels, you know, within the engineering community. And, and just has me, you know, for the last, almost, I would say, I've been doing work for them for close to maybe eight, nine years. So, wow. yeah. And so from the engineering and, and kind of get into that building side of things that yeah. kind of got into more construction, more construction opportunities and things that are going on. And yeah. okay. So I, I'd love to find out what are some of the big problems and what are some of the small problems that are going on, I guess, dispute wise between builder and clients, I guess. Okay. So, so it all depends on, on which again, I would say the most common problem yeah. I'm having and the one that basically I think pays our bills is, is unpaid invoices. That's it. It's ARs. Like that's really what the issue is. It's, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've spoken about the construction act being amended, you know, in, recently in yeah, we, it, it did be brought yeah, up yeah, and so now they're trying to streamline it because I guess there's so much litigation going on. Well, the, the, the whole, one of the main driving forces on why the construction lien act became the construction act back in 2018 was because of this thing called prompt payment which was a regime that would force funds to be passed along quicker in the construction pyramid, right? So you have, you have owners, you have contractors, and you have subs, and you have various parties involved, and you sometimes have certifiers and you know, engineers and architects. And, and it's such a widespread problem that they changed the Construction Act and put in certain mandates that were required to allow the funds to flow better. And again, not to say it's th those... Amendments didn't work. I think everything takes time for it to be um, accepted and widely used within within the the industry. But accounts receivable is is always always an, whether it's a big project, whether it's a small residential home project, whether it's just a basement being built. I would say fifty percent of the calls I get is somebody that's either not paid. Or somebody that doesn't want to pay and yeah. wants to find a justification for why they don't have to pay. Is it ridiculous? I've heard, I've had conversations where I've heard of people getting legal, like over as little as $500. And it's just, I don't understand. I, again, th those are people that I usually discourage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even for liens, I discourage some of my clients. I do think, I, I, again, I don't discourage people doing their own. You have the the small claims that in my opinion is is very efficient and easily allowable for a general businessman individual to to navigate so i do encourage them if you have a 500 dollars if you want to do it please deal with it you yourself it. like again uh, you know at, at my rate it's not worth it no but but i have some big companies some big companies that have a policy where um some national large companies have a policy look if it's, if it's five thousand bucks 
and above, we're going to sue. And it's they don't, the principle. And they don't care. It's a principle. It's the reputation where they don't, they're not going to let it go. So even if they spend in 20000 plus or whatever, they just won't let up? More, more than once. Really? For, us, for, for a, for a $5,000 invoice, I've had clients spend way more. So and it's that's just their policy, right? Yeah, they're also it, large companies. They're yeah, also no, and then they got to just—I guess they got to balance it. And it's a different process. Uh, yeah, a completely different process at that. I'm just trying to talk more about. I get asked a lot by people that listen to the show. You know, they're in this situation. Should I consider a lien? Should I consider a, an action against them, a claim against them, or what have you? Right? And it's just like we've all—if you're in construction, you're going to at some point have a conversation with a person like you. Yep. It's just part of the industry. That's just generally how it works. If you're spe- especially a, a GC, you're going to at some point have a conversation with a, a lawyer, and then you have to discuss discuss my options. Is it worth going down this path? But I always, what I've learned from my experience is that it's not just so much the monetary path, it's also the mental and stress and anxiety path that is associated with it as well because it is a process. Yep. It takes time. It takes a lot of cost. And it also takes you away from your family and your loved ones, plus the work that you're performing in future projects and building your brand. So there's like so many things to consider at that yeah, point. It, it, it's like putting good money after bad, right? That's what yes. it comes, and I tell clients that. And I say one thing, I was like, look, you're going to throw this money that is real money for money that may not exist, which is why we got to do our due diligence. You got to find out who you're suing. You got to find out, is that company, you know, is it even going to be there in three years to collect, right? Like if you have an individual that you contracted with and a sole proprietor, okay, you have a better chance. But if it's a corporation and a lot of the contractors out there are fly by night, those are things you got to, you know, kind of, kind of weigh. And those are things that we do with, with certain clients, right? Um, yeah, it's it's the age old question. Do you pursue it? Do you not pursue it? Um, I think what I recommend for a lot of my let's say if I'm dealing with a small amount, like the ten fifteen. Sure. Ten fifteen, you might hire a lawyer, but let's say five ten, right? I was I usually say, let me send a demand letter. Right? A demand letter is generally the first demand where I say, Look, you need to pay an X amount of time. If you don't pay, these are the repercussions that are going to going to occur. And after that, we see, and generally that works, you know, some people that, that were always going to pay, but just didn't want to pay or just, you know, felt like they had time or they were just trying to delay, you know, usually they'll cough up 50% of the time, 50% of the time when they don't, I encourage clients. I was like, look, do small claims, do it yourself. Again, if you have the energy, um, if you have the, the willingness, because there is a psychological component, yeah. right? So what is like, you've spoken a lot of, tradespeople, I guess, that have come towards you yep. and you've got all, all this, you know, accounts receivable that is just like, this is revenue that, that's on the books. And technically speaking for a lot of small business owners, whether they're incorporated or not, right? It, that's their, that's their profit margin on that yep. particular project. So then if they don't get this money, then they basically made no money and all of their employees or their sub trades or the overhead that was all covered, but their physical, they didn't make money as a result of it. What is the common thread when these people are approaching you that they did wrong? Because it's like, or did they do anything wrong to get to this point? So again, you know, some clients listening to this, if there are my clients, they may disagree with me, but I do find a lot of the, the law, a lot of the matters that become sometimes again, is just somebody's not looking to pay, doesn't have the money, wants to pay. And 50% of the time we send out a letter, I get on the phone, I figure out, okay, you don't have the money. Fine. Give me 10 K a month. Yeah. I feel it's like a renegotiation period. Exactly. right? Right. Or maybe they have a, like my goal always going in is to find out 
what the other guy's story is. Like, why are they not paying the account, right? And if I can figure out it's because of, oh, this one issue. Okay, let's solve this one issue. Now you're going to pay, right? So a lot of the time that becomes kind of the, the thread. But, but ultimately, you know, when a lot of these guys are coming to me and it gets into litigation, there's always two sides of a story. Of course. You got to clap with two hands. Of course. And, and the way I look at law, again, I'm going to just kind of put this out there. I always, I always tell my, my junior colleagues, I was like, look at it as, a, as an equation, right, in construction. On the one side of the equation, you have your base contract plus your extras, mm-hmm. right? You agree to do something, $300,000. You, you're doing the work and $50,000 of unforeseen issues, some, you know, Maybe some materials changed, some extras came, right? So you have that on the one side of the gambit. And then on the other side of the equation, what do you have? You have, you have delay, right? No, first you have incomplete work. Then you have deficiencies. Then you have delay. And then you have a whole host of, let's say, miscellaneous issues, right? And, and, and that's how I kind of look at the litigation when it comes in. Because the pattern is always the same. The same. You're not being paid because... They're not happy with the work. They've, they, you know, they haven't been promised what they wanted. The timeline's gone too far, you know. So there's some justification. In even though there may not be a justification, but when when that non-paying party goes to sleep at night, they create a justification, right? Because they don't want to walk around and and, and feel like, you know, somebody that that that's not doing good in the world. But they they have these grievances, and it, and it comes down to trying to figure out the grievances. And if I have, if I have a client and an opposing lawyer or even sometimes if they don't hire a lawyer that's reasonable and sensible you'll get a solution quick yeah if you have people that that don't want to do the due diligence that don't want to look at their books that don't want to see the flaws in what they've done then you end up paying tons of legal fees and, and you basically build a, a career for construction lawyers right yeah, that's basically what happens and what i happens? do want to preempt this because i know that we've had other attorneys on the show is like, i i think you guys normally want to say that and no way shape form whatever what is being expressed on the show right now is actual legal advice towards any particular situation yeah that you're going through right now you do your own homework you can reach out to harp you can have a conversation with him and do that whole process and start that whole thing but I, i'm not bringing up exact scenarios on this show of what people have spoken to me about like i've had a lot of people come out and told me what's going on i listen it's almost like i'm a counselor at that point i don't have the article i don't have any of that stuff but i'm listening to what's going on it's funny that you started the show which is great that you've done this that it is this idea of they just don't have the funds so then it's almost like they've pumped the brakes on it saying i don't want to tell you that i don't have the funds but i also don't want to tell you that i can pay you so you kind of keep the contractor in limbo and then they're trying to figure out and in all fairness most contractors that i know they just want it resolved they don't want to get to the point where we have to get litigation and go down that whole process if we can possibly just mediate together come to a resolution i get it you owe me 100 grand can we come to a middle point can you give me 70 can you give me 60 or whatever and then we'll walk away from this and move on but like a lot of that is going on where clients just don't have the funds because maybe they've overspent they overbuilt they've overextended And so all of a sudden, like, I always joke, but I don't joke. Um, They can't 
pay you because they need to pay their mortgage and their line of credit. They have to pay things that are actually going to be physically taken away from them. And I get that you can do the whole lien and go that process, which I encourage sometimes to people depending on the story. And I know that you can share a little bit about the lien process and how yeah. that all works and how you can perfect it and get that whole process. And at least you can do it. And you don't necessarily have to educate the client that you've done this. But if you feel that things are going negatively, at least have this in the time period that you're allowed legally to do it. So then at least you have that because it could be a bartering chip later on. Yep. Right? Anyways, I'm going to hit on two points. I'm going to cool. go back to Dude. a disclaimer. So it's, it's, I do a lot of presentations, um, especially a lot with the engineering community, but also just construction professionals in general. And every time I have a presentation that I formally do, I always have a disclaimer. Usually in my presentation, people are like, I was like, so I'm giving you legal advice, but I'm not really giving you exactly. legal advice. Exactly. Because I think you hit it on the head. Like every situation is unique. Yes. And I think sometimes, especially when you start getting into liens where there's deadlines, trying to interpret it based upon a, a podcast, there's so many moving parts you don't want to do that. So yeah, yeah definitely a disclaimer. The second thing I want to add is what you were saying about homeowners not having the money. Okay. And that's a trend that I've seen for a while. But another new trend that I'm seeing is that the contractors don't have the money. Mm. And, and it's something that's been popping up a lot where they're going to homeowners. They're saying, well, I don't have, I don't have money to pay my employees and, and buy materials. And this is a trend I'm seeing. And where the homeowner's like, well, you took on this project. And now, you know, again, well, there might, there might be some homeowners listening. So, you know, yeah. And you have, and they want to say, well, no, you know what? You pay for the materials or, or, oh, I need some advanced payment or I can't move forward. Yeah. And people aren't going based upon whatever payment terms they have in the contract. Usually milestone, right? For a lot of residential properties. You, and, you do the work, you complete it, move exactly. on to the next one, right? And, and it's then, a pretty good system. <laughs> and then the other big problem, I do a lot of subcontractors and a lot of subcontractors are saying, Harp, like the contractors, they get the money, the generals. They don't have the money to give the subcontractors because, you know, either people are breaching trust and, and paying other projects, but so, That's so, so on. the funds problem isn't just a solely owner problem. It's, yeah. it's a problem. No, no, with, I agree with you. Totally. On, in, in, in all the various, the pyramid, let's say of, of individuals that, that you need to kind of build this property are having issues with, with, with money right now. So I would say, Harp, that a lot of the younger trades that want to go on their own and build a brand and build a business, I think the one thing that they're most nervous about is this potential legal detail that could arise later on. What's the best thing that you can offer them when they're starting out of the gate, setting up their brand and going down that road just to prepare themselves to avoid ever being in this situation? Okay. So, so be, before we get into avoiding, the number one thing I, I, I want to always remind my companies, and, and if I'm consulting with somebody that's opening up a company or expanding a company, I always say, look, you know, you've entered business. And, and I do work for some very large clients. And I'll tell you, I have certain clients that, that, have, that may have 50 lawsuits on the go, massive companies, right? I don't so, even want to wrap my head around so, that. <laughs> so as you get bigger and you make more money and you become more successful, whether you like it or not, you're going to get sued. And it's yep. almost, it's like a rite of passage, right? So you can't even look at it from a negative perspective. So the first thing that I tell people, I was like, look, you're always going to need a lawyer. You're always going to need an accountant, right? And you're also going to need insurance. So what the construction industry does very well is they build an insurance into their prices, Right. So they always know, okay, I got to get a bond. I got to do this. This is what it's going to cost. Okay. And what I'm telling, I tell my clients is build in legal and accounting. 
into your prices. Whether it's 1%, whether it's 2%, you should know yearly, hey, it's going to cost me 10K to, not because of a lawsuit, but maybe because of preventative law, right? And we'll get into that concept that, so it doesn't hurt. So you're not avoided, right? So, so what I encourage clients to do with me is I was like, let's open a general retainer, right? Let's open it up, throw, you know, $1,000 into my general account and get used to the concept of when something doesn't feel right, when something feels like it's going to go, you know, sideways, you have a contract that you don't really like, you know, somebody's somehow doing something that, you know, is worrying yeah. you, pick up the phone, call you me. some legal advice. You, you get billed for you know, the five, 10 minutes, whatever you spend. And sometimes what it'll do is it'll avoid these big lawsuits. But what, if, what, what prevents people is thinking, oh, now I'm going to call Harp and Harp's going to send me a bill, right? So if you build it in and you know that, look, I need, I'm going to spend X amount on accountants and X amount on legal, you know, we almost become a part of your team. Yep. Right? And, and it's worked well for a lot of my clients. And I've seen some clients grow from very small companies to like, companies that are bidding on $10 million projects, right? And we grow with them. Yeah, and you watch them grow and you probably are in communication with them going, listen, guys, have you considered this and that? I actually love that you grouped the legal with accounting. And I want to say something where, for the most part, lots of people in construction will always look for the cheapest accountant, No. right? And I'm like, it's a big mistake to do that because... As a tradesperson, you're building a brand and you take pride in the work that you do and you don't consider yourself bottom man cheap. You're competing against the Kijijis out there or what have you. You're in the middle or maybe middle high or what have you. Treat accounting and legal the same way. Get someone that's got the experience, that has the, the experience behind everything and has the know-how to have a proper conversation with you to understand, I guess, the accounting laws regarding CRA, but also the legal laws regarding your contracts and what you have rights for when you have a dispute between uh, whether it's clients, contractors, or contractors, subcontractors, like all that stuff. Do not always look at getting the cheapest version of somebody because you're going to get the cheapest result. Yeah. And also you want somebody, fine, let's bring it back to the construction industry. Let's say, you know, you're a general and you're going to get your subs, you know, and you want the concrete done. Are you going to hire the framer? No. No, right? Oh, the framer does concrete on the side. Probably not, right? So even even that when it comes to a lawyer, the the one thing that I see is look, there's there's construction lawyers out there. There's construction firms. There's some very good firms in the city. There's very good firms in Vaughan. There's a lot of colleagues that I have that work, you know. And there's enough of us out there where if you are in this industry, look for a construction lawyer. Yeah. These people have built their business on that. They're not doing anything else, right? And that's who you want because they've seen your situation before or they'll figure it out. And again, I don't know how accountants work, but I know there are accountants that do have certain large books of, of, of people in this certain industry, right? I don't know if you need to be as specialized as what it is for law because they're not, you know, they're not worrying about the actual facts of, of what, you know, you're doing. Yeah. But Look for people that are specialized. Well, do your homework. Like, it's yeah. no different than, I don't know, buying power regarding you buying a specific tool or buying a specific location to set up your business or buying a vehicle that's going to make you money. You should be treating that thought process the same way. Do your homework on trying to figure out who you want to work with. Also, personality-wise. 100%. Meeting somebody, speaking to you, and going, okay, do we get along? Do we understand each other? Do Can we communicate? Are you, are you going to be invested in my business as much as I, I want you to be invested yep. in it? So it's like there's a lot of 
connections that have well, to happen. And, and those are issues like, again, every, every so often you meet a client that, that you say, look, you know what? I, th- I don't think we're a good fit. And I've done that a few times in my career. Uh, I, I'm usually pretty good at dealing and managing personalities. But every so often I see that there's a client out there that for whatever reason isn't seeing eye to eye with me or the personality just aren't going to match. And I always say, I was like, look, get a new lawyer. I'm not offended. Like there might be somebody out there that just for whatever reason, you know, may just, you know, you may have the confidence, the trust, whatever it is that that we're lacking in our relationship, they'll fill that because there's a lot of good lawyers out there, right? A lot of good construction lawyers. So, you know, I've had those few situations um, and and that's what it comes down to. Like you got to have that, that relationship where you truly believe that the person advocating for you is advocating and not just ringing up a bill phoning it in right right but it, so nobody wants that that's like nobody you, wants it, that you're, you're hiring a service you're hiring a person that's going to be contributing to your business to protect yeah. you right so are there other things that we can consider because i do kind of want to get onto the i guess the preventative side but i mean i i rather have people start businesses and just get it protected properly and then you could resolve things sooner and properly instead of going down that whole path. Because it, I, I agree with you, there is a rite of passage, but the passage, but there's also, I've heard just horror stories of high six figures just being spent on litigation and it just goes on and on and on. And, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm, I've spoken to these contractors and I just, I don't, I don't get it at that point. I don't like. And sometimes the situations are unavoidable, right? Like we've had a recently had a pretty big bankruptcy that happened to a company, you know, a month or so ago. Like, you know, I have various clients, multiple clients that had to lean project, lean projects with that contractor, you know, and that's an unavoidable situation. Like there's, there's nothing you could have really done to prevent it, right? Like a company going belly up. Sometimes you can see it, but if you're locked in a two year contract, even if you see it, you can't do anything. Right. So you have those situations, but I think you're right. There's a lot that can be prevented. And if I was talking about prevention, I think the first thing is build in the fees for the legal, 100%. right? Number one. Number two is look at your insurance, right? If, if you feel that, you know, so engineers, architects, regulated professionals in construction are mandated to have personal yep. uh, E&O insurance, right? So if you're a company that has a worry that, you know what, we're going to have certain types of lawsuits with deficiencies or whatnot, those are the ones that, that the real damages come from, right? Yeah. You might look at E&O insurance. It's expensive, but you can judge that, right? Rules, compliance, regulations. These are super critical things. We use tools that require high safety standards. We have to meet compliance and regulations at all times, not just for governmental issues. But actually, if we don't, we're risking our own employees. Every tool requires a different kind of training and understanding of how to operate it safely. Every rule needs to be fully understood, who's qualified to do certain jobs and who's not. All these are important things we managers must take care of to keep safety high at all times. Now, getting it done is way harder than talking about it. But luckily, there's a platform I found that can help out with everything I just mentioned. A great software called Connect Team, which has training and quizzes that you can build in any way you'd like to make sure your employees always know how to handle a certain tools. You can see who's done a certain course of quiz, who didn't complete it and can't work with a certain tool until they do. You also have the ability for an update if there's a new regulation you need everybody to be aware of ASAP. And also an easy overview screen to see who saw it. Plus, Their schedule allows you to add limitations for certain jobs. So if one of your employees is not qualified to do a certain job, the system will automatically notify you about it. 
The platform offers a lot more, such as easy access to playbooks or hazard reports. Just check them out for yourself. Connect Team has a free plan and a 14-day free trial. Try them today by checking out the link in the show notes. So, so that's another way is to there prevent. Is a parameter regarding, you know, Arizona emissions about like what you can cover or you, is it kind of just a general Look, you, you can have one that has just pure negligence. Like if you were, if you've done a project and you did it poorly, you could be defended for that. The insurance company will, will, will buy the buck and they'll hire a lawyer. And, you know, I work, I do insurance work. So, you know, I may be one of the lawyers that they hire, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's an option where, where it's kind of, you can sit back and now your insurance company is going to deal with it. And if there's a judgment, they're going to pay for it. Yes, it comes with premiums. So I do think there's a time, you know, where you got to look at that. You might not do it in year one. You know, you might not do it if you're doing on two projects a year, but as the business gets bigger. Growth. And growth. And, and, you're, and you, you have the clients that you can build in that cost. Build in that cost, right? It's it's. I love that you're saying that because I think a lot of people that start out don't realize all these additional costs that they should be billing in. Yep. In the event that something does happen, but also on the, the fruit side of things, if everything goes smooth, you just made a little bit more profit. A little bit more profit, exactly. Right? But you also, in all fairness, take that that you built in and keep it as a reserve fund anyway for a future. It's, it's like it doesn't pay, hurt. It's like paying insurance, right? It's like if, if you're, let's say, 2% on every project and you have no problems for three years and then all of a sudden you have a problem, you know, you may have done 15, 20 projects in the three years and that 2% now is, I don't know. It's, Whatever it it's is, something, 100 right? grand or something. 100 like grand. Now it doesn't, now you're like, you know what? It is really shitty situation, but at least I have this, right? And at least I've built it in. So I think insurance is something you can look at. I think if you're starting out, one thing you have to be diligent with is your contracts, mm-hmm. right? You got to be very diligent with your contracts. Can we over contract things? Look, at the end of the day, you have CCDC contracts that are yes. pretty good contracts, you know, but if those aren't being used and depending on the size of company or the type of work you do, I think you need a, I think there's two types of contracts you need, depending on the company. One is a very short two page terms and conditions, purchase order almost, okay. you know, and then depending on the business, if you, let's say you're a, a residential home builder, Right. For them, usually I think a contract that's about five to 10 pages is going to suffice. Right. You, you get guys with phone books. It's, you, you also don't want to get to the look. If, if, if let's say with the CCDC contracts are generally what, 20 some odd pages, yeah. right? 20 and 30 pages. If you considered every type of possible problem, you would have phone books, right? Like people have them. But one thing that people ignore is that there's also the court recognizes implied terms. Now, some people will be like, oh, Harp, I want to make sure this person's an engineer, right? I go, look, if you're hiring an engineer and saying that, hey, here's a clause, you better have an an engineering license that's up to date. I go, that's irrelevant. That's built in. That's an implied term. It's an understanding, right? So I go, you don't, we don't need to say everything that's an understanding. We need to hit the big ticket items you need to hit contract price the the, the timeline terms of payment time work scope delay yeah. extra unforeseen conditions insurance right yes. really when i look at even when i'm looking at a contract because sometimes clients don't give me time they give me a contract that they've been sitting on and they're like harp i need this for like two days from now right and and i try to do my best but at least i've gotten to the point where i can recognize okay i have this be it a 30 page contract I know the five to 10 pages that really matter. 
And the rest of it, it's like, okay, you know, we can slide on that, but these are the ones, these are the big ticket items. These are the reoccurring problems, right? And, and I do do a course through the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers. I also do it through actually the, I did it through the Electrical um, and Mechanical League. It's also a partner of ours where we just teach contracts, right? And I think that's something, it's just three hours. It's not Online. big. We did it online, okay. and you know what? Next time I do it, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, and you, if you have like a website, you totally, can put it on there. Totally, that'd be really good, yeah. But it's great for people that, that, that come and just, and what I do is I'm not there to teach you everything, but I'm there to introduce the concepts. Yeah. What are you really looking at? Where should you be looking? And, and what's acceptable, right? And, and I really think good. starting off with that, like, again, rely on a lawyer, but build your knowledge base. Yeah. Like, listen to the lawyer, listen to what they're doing. If somebody drafts a contract, sit with the lawyer, figure out what, what, what it says so you don't need to run to the lawyer every day, right? You deal with it on your own, and then when things really are difficult, then you say, hey, harp, or whoever it is, let's talk, right? Like, reread the language that you've yeah. already spoken to yourself about, but you don't need to always go and, I need you to hold my hand right now, because no. now you're just at that point you're not doing enough homework of your own that you should be doing it and then get a better understanding. And I think at some point where you don't clearly understand it, you've gone through all the homework, then you contact you. And, and that's going to be the limitation of companies. Like if you understand, it's great if you can, you know, if you're a great framer and, and that's what you do, but you, at some point, you're going to transfer from being the guy that works on site to being the guy that, that does, that does the, the, the office work. Right. And that's going to come with knowledge base. So you have to build your knowledge base, or if you don't, if you don't have that aptitude, or if you don't have that interest, then you're probably going to hire somebody, right? Are, That's going to. Why are so many contractors afraid to even speak legal? Is it just because they just don't know enough of it? Like I, I get the sense that they should probably be speaking to other contractors that they respect and just have a general conversation about it. I think it's the age-old problem. And I see it with my clients, especially the smaller clients, where, where once they get into a lawsuit, they really avoid me. And I ask them for information and documents, and they don't want to get back to me. And, and for a long time, I thought, oh, these people are just too busy or they're not interested. And, and slowly I realized, I go, it isn't that. It's that every time I contact them, it brings up a psychological, um, you know, Kind a of a, a psychological a scar. scar, right? Yeah. And they're worried about it. And then what, what do humans generally do when they're worried about something? You push it away. Avoid it. You avoid it, right? So I think that's what it comes down to. I think people have heard the stories and there are some horror stories out there. Uh, people are worried for, you know, their ultimate livelihoods and their businesses. And, and it almost feels like, you know, let me ignore it. Like health, my mm -hmm. wife always says, you never go to the doctor. You don't want to, you get what I mean? No, you completely like certain, ignore it. Something's going to happen. You ignore it. And that's what I think a lot of the industry are doing. And, but if you do want to get to that next level, and if you do want to grow, and if you got into this business, obviously for money, to grow. right, to grow and to make money, brand, yes. you're going to have to tackle that. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to have somebody good on your side. But then on top of that, you're going to have to build the knowledge yourself or get the people that have the knowledge, Right. Did things change dramatically during the COVID years? Like, because there was all of a sudden delays and I guess that wasn't really factored into a contract and, and all of a sudden things dramatically changed regarding costs. And I guess certain contractors got stuck and homeowners got stuck as well too, because now, you know, 
commodities were just going through the roof, yep. but it was never part of the process. And and then I guess delays on finishing material. And then a contractor doesn't really make money until the job is completed. So you're just dragging this out. So it's I, I, I could only see that there might have been some resistance during that period, right? The first year, maybe even I would say year and a half of COVID was 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 very litigious. So we were very busy. Wow. A lot of liens. I think people were just worried and and people were were, were you know pulling the gun a lot quicker. Um with unpaid invoices. And then also I had other clients that were stuck in larger projects that were trying to find out ways to get out of those projects using force majeure clauses, yeah. figuring out ways to get out. So litigation did grow. Um, some of my very, like some of my clients that are the larger clients, what I found personally, what they did is internally, they created really good systems to, to have very short leashes on accounts, right? Because they started realizing that huge ARs no longer will be acceptable because we're in, we're, we're in a, we're now in a state of, of business where, where there is risk, right? Way too much risk. So, so if you were smart companies, you made sure, and sometimes some companies can do it and some can't, right? My engineering clients did a really good job, short leases, require, requiring upfront retainers and, and figuring out their problems there. So, you know, I, I did see a lot of that. I saw a lot of contract drafting on my end. I think a lot of people became sensible. And a lot of people were like, you know, the handshake is no longer going to work. You know, like Bob's my friend and I'm just going to do work without a contract. I think that also changed. Yeah, I, I can see a lot of contracts being revised, I guess. Yeah. Well, right? people ask me. So I say I do, our firm is a litigation firm, but myself, I'm, I'm the one member at the firm where I do, I would say, 50%, 60% litigation. So that's the lawsuits litigation. And then the other is just consulting. Mm -hmm. It's just contract review, contract negotiation, tender review. It's all um, valuable stuff. Just, just, you know, clients calling me daily. Hey, Harp, this is the issue. What do we do? Should we do anything? Should we lean? And then I pass it on. So it's more of the consulting side of it. And that's something that actually got created during COVID, I found. That's interesting. Yeah. So I, I feel like people are naturally doing more preventative law. People are so more worried. It, they yeah. became more proactive. One hundred percent. I think everybody, and even us at our firm, I'm, uh, even us, like we went from carrying large AR to like being a little bit more strict, right? Because just we don't know, and, and this looming discussion of are we in a recession? When is a recession? What's the worst of it? I think it creates this mental monster where, where you know, I think anybody that that has their own business is at least taking precautions. Can we not, I know that a lot of contracts have the option of mediation as a, as a first step, right? Yep. To try to resolve a situation, but you get a lot of, whether it's contractors or subcontractors or clients, they just want to avoid that step and just get right to the process of lien or litigation. But why can't we just mediate this, get to this point where you get two lawyers on either side, just going, will you take this? Will you take this? Can we come to the middle? Can we get to this place? Or like, it's just, that's not an option on the table sometimes? So, so first we have adjudication, yes. right? Which is under the Construction Act. And I find adjudication is... Since 2018, Yeah, right? 2018. So um, I, I think 2018 was when the, when, when the act was amended, but I think adjudication came into force in 2019, October, yeah. from what I remember. So, you know, that process, I think the one, the one holdback that we have on that is whatever decisions made by the adjudicator during the project isn't 
isn't set in stone. Like it's, you still have an, option. you can appeal it after the fact. Okay. Right. Yeah. So once you're done, you can still, you can still have a lien and whatnot. So I think trying to convince a client that, Hey, you should spend X amount on, on an adjudication that may later you'd have to like fight this issue again becomes a problem. But that's um, the same thing with a lien. At some point, a lien, I don't know what the year, the time period. Oh, yeah. It eventually has to become now a claim, right? It, that's perfecting. We'll, per- we'll get into okay, that. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get into that, right? So so I think adjudication has its own issues. I think mediation, again, the problem becomes is this. As a lawyer, people don't come to me on day one or that they're not being paid, right? Mm-hmm. Like, first, you have a 30-day term period. Generally, it should be, you know, the Construction Lien Act says 28 days. It should be 28 days for an owner to pay a general contractor. We won't get into that whole um, discussion now, but let's say 30 day term period and you don't get paid. And and let's say you haven't done work or you haven't done anything in those 30 days and you follow up a couple times, they promised you payment and now you're six weeks in and then you come to me and say, hey Harb, these guys haven't paid me. And I say, well, when were you last on the project? It's a subcontractor. Oh, we were on the project six weeks ago. At that point, what am I supposed to do? Like, yeah. hey, let's try a mediation. Like, people that aren't paying you aren't exactly going to say, oh, yeah, let's do that. It's great. Let's hire a mediator. Let's go. And let's. it's not going to happen. So the first thing we do is we protect the client with the best way of protection that we have. And it's a very, and it's 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 something that, that, that does work. We lean. But then the minute you lean, now you have an owner or a general. If you're a subcontractor, it's pissed off. Why did you lean me? Yeah. Who do you think you are to lean me? Now I'm not going to pay you. Remove your lien, right? So like the, the whole energy of the matter changes. But at the same time, I tell the client, look, like I've seen the horror story where somebody does say, you know what? I'm not going to lean hard. I trust him. I think he's a good guy. And then now after you don't get paid and then that company no longer find, you know, if that company is a big company, I've recently just negotiated some deals where clients did decide not to lean, but with a massive company. Right. And I'm like, look, these guys ain't going anywhere. Right. And there is also certain insurance on the, on the, there is bonding insurance, right. Labor and material bonds. That I was like, look, worst case scenario, we have our rights here. Right. Mm-hmm. That we don't need to lean. We made an educated decision and that's fine. But I've seen other situations where you don't lean and then that company no longer exists a year or two now from now. And then you're just like, what do you do? And then you've lost out at that. You've point. lost out. Right. So I think that's the, that's the inherent problem. I do, I do think there's a place for mediation. I think there's a place for adjudication. Um, do you, are you a fan of the adjudication process, this new streamlining version of it, almost like a fast food? I, I am a fan, but okay. I find that but, but, but clients aren't really encouraged by it because it's, I feel like they're worried about the, the cost too. Like a lot of my clients are used to leaning, right? So they lean, they spend, let's say, 1000 to 1500 right? Mm-hmm. Then... You know, after you've leaned within 150 days of whatever your leaning period is, you got to perfect. Okay, now you spend another hundred, you know, a thousand, two thousand, right? And then you kind of wait and you hopefully you get paid, right? So I think people are used to that. They spend three, four thousand bucks. Sometimes it works out. You get paid everything. Whereas with adjudication, it's an it's a it's a short timeline. It's an aggressive process. And you know what? We lawyers we sell our time. So irrespective of if it's a, a 10,000 or, or, or a million dollar matter, like I'm putting my hours to it, right? Yeah. And the adjudication process isn't, isn't, isn't easy either, right? Like you're going to put the time towards it and they look at that and they're just like, well, I don't want to spend 10K right now. 
So, so there's, yeah. it, it, and it all depends upon the client. It depends upon the project. It depends, you know, um, upon the personality of whether they want to do it. I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of mediation. You know, I'm trying to get more and more lawyers to do arbitration. I'm a fan of that because the courts are so backed up yeah. where it's like, you know what, let's, there's some good arbitrators out there slash mediators that, that we can hire. We can have a mediation with them. And if the mediation doesn't work, we can just arbitrate it. We just need to, you know, we need to just distill what the issues are. But for me to be able to do that, I need to have a lawyer that understands and appreciates like what construction law is. So, so everyone needs to understand the yeah, language so, that we're speaking. So, so when I have a lawyer that, that is a construction lawyer, that that's somebody that's also one of my colleagues in the field, they'll understand that. I'll be like, Harp, I get what you're saying. Yes, we should do that. Right. But if I'm generally dealing with, with a, a normal litigator that may do 10%, 15% construction here and there, they're used to just the regular process. Sue, let's, exchange pleadings let's exchange our documents let's go to this examination and and then you get stuck in that the, the pragmatic approach isn't taken right I, I i'm not do, speaking bad about anybody no, I just, no, no, just no, the realities of, of, of what yeah, i see I, right I, 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 we just want to educate people on the, the possibilities attached to something like this right and it's just um i want to ask you something that i haven't asked a lawyer is that it unfortunately most times when you meet somebody it's always in a negative situation that's yeah Right, that, that's what wears on you. But so all of a sudden, you're meeting somebody for the first time, and you're going, "Here's my dark story." Right? Are can you share some positive light stories of something like that's litigation wise? That's I don't know, positive, <laughs> some sort. So first, I want to I, I want to get on that that whole concept of of just generally when you're dealing with your lawyer. Um, I have pretty thick skin. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a visible minority. I grew up in a small town in, in Niagara. You know what I mean? I got thick skin. <laughs> Nothing really bothers me too yeah. much, right? Uh, there are things that bother me, but I can, I'm, I'm pretty good. But then I've had a lot of lawyers under me that get into litigation. And you see a lot of litigation lawyers that, that end up not practicing law. Right, yeah. you can walk around. You, you I've heard people have done med like doctors, like very rarely. And I have a lot of doctor friends and family. Rarely are they like, oh, I'm a non-practicing doctor. Like you, you're a doctor. You 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 become a doctor. You kind of work as a doctor. I have so many friends that are like, yeah, I'm a non-practicing lawyer. I did it. I didn't like it because of this concept of if you're in litigation, you know, your client isn't really happy, yep. is in a negative state. Yep. You're talking to lawyers on the opposing end, even if they're your buddies, right? Like you may call them and they say, hey, Harp, how's doing? How's the wife? Blah. The minute they switch on the switch, Harp, your guys out to lunch. Or I'm going to say it's negative, right? And then, then so you got your clients, you got the opposing lawyer, and then you got you got courts pushing timelines, right? A lot of the lean masters, which you know what I mean? Everything is, is pressure and everything always has a negative light, which I do think a lot of lawyers do find difficult, right? A lot of the, the younger ones, right? We're trying to balance that at our firm. We really try. It's interesting that um, ever since I got, I guess, because I'm in construction, I got involved with legal situations or what have you. I was always a fan of watching legal TV or films legally. Yeah. I can't watch them anymore. 
so <laughs> it just hits too hard it's it just like not. a lot of the language is so close to what is in reality yeah that i can't watch it anymore and i'm like it's such a shame because there are obviously some good courtroom dramas and you know what i mean recently i just watched 12 angry men which is a 1957 film which is just about the jury process yeah right which is a great film by it's the way a great I film, tell yeah. it. so it's just like and i watched that recently and it didn't have the same impact because as as you know like the film just starts off at the very tail end of the jury being sent out to yeah deliberate right um but most television legal dramas whatever you can go as far back as the 80s with la law and stuff like that i used to watch those and i i, I was entertained but once i got into construction and all of a sudden these terms were hitting home i was like i don't like it. i don't like hearing so you this don't out. ever it makes sense right you don't want to talk to a lawyer right and, and but that energy does you know yeah it does it so does if you that. are talking to your lawyer look you got to appreciate that they're doing you a service yeah. right they're working hard they're always whatever they're yeah, doing but you're right they always have this thicker skin yeah. how it's not that they're trying to create a positive aura around you or whatever. They're just understanding where you're coming from. Exactly. And then they're trying to come up with solutions that's going to best suit you. Exactly. And here are the options. And that's what yeah. you guys do. That's what a good lawyer does. Yeah. Right? But, but, but getting back to your question, I don't want to forget it. Yeah, like no, no. Positive, right? So, which is why, so the positive from my end, I, I really do like working with clients. I'm, I'm not looking at... You know, sometimes you have the one-off, the client comes, it's like a homeowner, they're having one issue, you may never see them again. You know, you do your service for them and it is what it is. But I do like building the relationships with companies, small, medium, big, because I find the more pleasant things are when you're dealing with contracts, when you're dealing with, with issues that aren't exactly super contentious and you're just giving them advice. So those are the kind of, where I look at as more positive um, from a client perspective, there's a huge positive. You know, there's a lot of times where you're stressing about something and if you have the right lawyer come in, hopefully talk to the opposing side. And what I try to do when it's unpaid invoices, I really try to get to talk to the opposing side before they talk to a lawyer. So you can just reason with them. Mm-hmm. Like very, like so many times it's just simply been look like, what's the, like what's the issue? Yeah. Oh, oh, Harb, they did the flooring shoddy. Okay, send me the pictures. Well, we'll, Talk to the client. Look, we'll can you fix it. the flooring? We'll take care of it. You go fix it, and they're they're happy, and they pay. So I do think there is a lot of positive, but it, the the initial stages of how it gets approached are very important, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can get the quick payout, and you can be pragmatic and also understand where your fault lies, you know, or if somebody can't pay, understanding that look, yeah, you were promised X amount up front, but maybe you have to now take ten k a month. You know, just being open to that. And that goes back to the beginning of the show that we talked about how already set this in motion. Have this schooling, so to speak, this yeah. research already there, understanding it. So then you won't be in that state of stress and anxiety where exactly. you're just going to push it off. And I don't hope it goes away because the thing is, it's not going to. You have to resolve this. You have to figure out the best course of action. And we're contractors. We're not litigators. So you need to hire somebody that is a litigator yep. to speak to to speak your contracting language. Exactly. But but then also, yeah, I do appreciate, understand your contracts, understand your invoices, understand your term periods, understand, hey, you know, when can I lean? You know, it's 60 days from, from last service, it's 60 days from termination, abandonment. Understand this language, right? You're not going to learn it overnight, but just like, you know, you learned your craft over years, you're going to get used to it and you're going to know. Right. And, and it's going to make things easier. And the people that you deal with are going to know yeah. that, you know, and if they know that, you know what, this is somebody that you don't mess with. This person's a savvy individual. They understand business. 
you, you're going to get paid, right? You're going to get paid. I, I'd love to actually talk about, I don't know how it gets connected somehow, but protection, I guess, of assets, protections of your corporation. I know that you, you're hearing a lot of litigators piercing the corporate veil and trying to go after contractors personally, even though they've got a corporation set up in place. But then you get a lot of people who have lots of machinery, lots of assets, all kinds of things. And you'll hear stories of contractors talking I'll go after their business. I'll go after their machinery. I'll go after whatever assets they have. If they were unfortunate enough to put their personal car under the corporation's name for CRA purposes, that I'm going to go after that. So it's, I, I, are these smart moves or these bad moves? Or So, so again, you should have a corporation. Yes. At the end of the day, you yes. know, even when I did, you know, I think it was commercial law or corporate law 101, you know, the, the, the simple concept was this, is that, you know, you may practice a sole practitioner when you have a, a low income because you want to offset your your personal expenses yes. with your income, right? Yes. But the minute you start making any real money, you want to be incorporated, right? You want to be incorporated because you want to protect your assets. You want limited liability, right? Because you have a corporation, you should be protected from liability. But if you're going to abuse that corporation, mm-hmm. okay? And what I mean abuse is this, right? Is that... You have company A set up and you do stucco work, okay? And you now have a lawsuit and you know that you messed up this homeowner's stucco and they're out $100,000 and you're like, you know what? I don't want to pay the $100,000. I'm just going to shut down Bob Stucco and open up John Stucco. Same, same office, same employees. Let's change the website. Let's change that. You're like, what do you expect? Of course. You get what I mean? So yeah. at, at the end of the day, like it all comes down to reasonability. Why are people going after your assets? And the other problem is we have breach of trust, right? Mm-hmm. Part two of the lien act, very powerful legislation, which basically puts a responsibility to every individual that's collecting monies in the construction pyramid to hold the money for who it's for. Mm-hmm. If you're a general contractor and that stucco guy did $50,000 worth of work and you invoiced for it and the owner paid you 250 and 50 of it was his, give him his 50,000. If you don't give him the 50,000 and you want to use it for project number, you know, B that you're doing or C that you're doing, or for whatever reason you want to pay your friends and not this guy, yeah, you're going to have breach of trust. And that's going to make you personally liable. So it all comes down to context, right? Like if you are legitimately doing work, legitimately operating, and let's say your company is no longer operating, you're retired and you had a corporation Hopefully you had insurance so that whoever the grieving party is has some recourse. If you don't have insurance, yeah, you shouldn't be personally liable. Mm-hmm. Right? And those are things that there's, it happens a lot of times with me where people get personally named and their companies are closed down. And then what we do is we'll bring motions to get them removed personally. Because you have to do that. That's the, like, yeah. especially if you set up a corporation, everyone just thinks that if you just do the bare bones, but you need to understand what it, that you're exactly. Doing, right? and like, what are you doing? Are you collecting? So the other problem is this, is that, yeah, you've set up a corporation, but you're accepting checks in your wife's name because somehow that works. Out. Like, you know, like, like run it like a business. Yeah. yeah. Like, you and know, speak to people who will educate you. Your, your email should be separate. Yes. Your account should be separate. Your book should be separate. Right, run it like a business. A corporation like, is a separate ent- you entity. You know, it's right? great. You started off. You got to work through your basement. Work through your basement. But at some point, like you know, like let this operate as a business. Right, what comes in, what comes out. Take your salary. Keep it legitimate, and and you're gonna find a lot of those problems not happen. But if you mix it up, and 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 you're operating in a Mickey Mouse fashion. 
you're muddying the waters. Then it is. Then it is with. And well, then it gives know. an opportunity for another litigator to kind to of come, and they're going to. And right? they will because they they have they have a homeowner. Maybe they have a subcontractor because they're they're a grieving party too, right? Of like, course. like there's been an injustice done to them. How do you harp? I, I I mean, I've been fortunate enough, you know, to personal liability on your job sites. You obviously have your insurance, and and if something does happen, um, how 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 can you protect yourself other than, I guess, the insurances that you do have in place and then also having a representative for you taking care of the legal and the contract and everything like that. And then you've done everything correctly regarding health and safety. So everyone's been educated at the start of the day or whatever, the start of the scope. Um, but then something does happen. Is there still recourse there? Like, can people come after you or the corporation or the builder? Like, all If that? you've done everything, look, like, let's play it in a scenario, okay? So let's say you have your contracts, you have, you know, you're, you're running a, you know, corporation and then all of a sudden somebody is on one of your project sites and somebody falls in some hole, right? And I've had these issues mm-hmm. with Ontario Health and Safety Act infractions. That's just life. I'm looking at your construction life hat right there and the <laughs> word came to me, but like, it's just like there's, like there's things you probably could have done and you probably did, but there's, you know, you can't be everywhere and that's, and that happened, and it's unfortunate. And now what it comes down to is... Since 1991, Mississauga Hardware Center's MHCI, or Saga Tools as the cool kids call it, has been a trusted name in the construction supply industry, serving the greater Toronto area as a family-founded, owned, and operated company. They take pride in their reputation as one of the most respected construction supply providers in the GTA. At MHCI, they stand out for their commitment to fast and efficient service. Their team of friendly, courteous, and knowledgeable staff is available to assist you with any questions you may have. They understand the importance of product knowledge and strive to provide an unsurpassed level of expertise to their valued customers. They take pride in their ability to purchase large volumes of products directly from manufacturers worldwide. This enables them to pass on substantial savings to their customers. Whether you're embarking on a do-it-yourself project, constructing a multi-million dollar building, or involved in city infrastructure development. Their products and prices remain highly competitive within the industry. Order online at www.mississaugahardware.com or better yet, go and visit them in person and always check out what's happening on their social at Mississauga Hardware Center with C-E-N-T-R-E. You have insurance. Mm -hmm. Let that insurance go to work for you. There's a reason why you paid the premiums, right? As long as you've done the due diligence regarding the education, yeah. regarding the safety, everyone's been formally and ju- documented, journaled, like that you were educated to, like you, you were spoken to. This was a, yeah. you're, you're on a live active job site. You're wearing the proper PPE, but there is still a chance that Always. something can happen. Someone could misstep. Someone could, I don't know, move a crane or something like that. And then there could be an injury. So you just got to make sure that if you're building a business, legitimately build it, like just prepare Protect and prepare yourself for all these pot- potentials. Yeah. And then if they don't happen, then great. But don't be debilitated by it, no, right? Like, no. just like we, we you know, every time we get in a car, right? I know my mom's always worried about oh, driving, right? Yeah, of course. She's always like, oh, you guys drive too far. You shouldn't drive. And I'm just like, like, she has this inherent fear of just driving in the unknown, right? And that's going to debilitate you. Like, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to grow. You're not going to want to do work, right? At the end of the day, within reason, right? Even even us, like as a firm, all, you know, we're we're not we're not a massive firm, right? But we have um, levels, right? At the end of the day, I, I tell people my comfortability is is generally I like litigation that's five six million or less, okay. right? 
I feel comfortable because I know I know where my insurance is, right? And 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 usually you don't make any more money, right? Like if, if you have a twenty-five million dollar lawsuit, go hire one of the guys in the ivory tire at Towers, <laughs> right? Because they have that insurance, they have the backing, right? Yeah. They know their limits. It's fine, you know. You can make more money on it, but you know, as a lawyer, I I also want to sleep at night too, right? One day maybe our company grows a bit more. Maybe now I have you know. You know, maybe E&O insurance of, of 20, 50 million, right? Then maybe, yes, I can take on. So, so even if you're operating as a business owner, the point I'm trying to make is understand your limitations. Yeah. Right? It's not just protecting. But that's good business. But it's not just protecting yourself, right? It's, it's not just your contracts. Do you have insurance? Do you have this? Understand how you operate, right? So one of the reoccurring problems I saw with engineers. So I was doing engineering defense work about four, four, four years straight. Every day, all I did was defend an engineer, let's say, right? Wow. And the one thing I was noticing with some engineers that, that, that did make some mistakes on projects were some of the smaller engineers that, that ended up ignoring work sometimes. And, and the reason why they're ignoring, and I started noticing this pattern was because what they're doing is they're underbidding themselves. So to it, get the job? To, yeah. To, so for example, let's say me, I'm a lawyer, right? I have a billing rate, okay? And let's say I take my billing rate and I'm just like, okay, no, you know what? I'll just take a thousand bucks and I'll do this for you, right? And, and I think to myself, it's going to be a, a, a two, three hour job. Ends up being a 15 hour job. At some point, I'm going to get to the point where I'm just not, not because I want to do a poor job. I'm going to get to a point where it's not financially viable for me to spend more time. Yeah. So I'm going to do it in, a, in not to say a half-ass way, but like it's what ends up happening, right? You, you need to turn a profit. If you've taken on projects and you haven't properly bid them and you're not properly getting paid subconsciously, there's things that are going to happen. You're going to focus where the money is. Right. Which is why you always see contractors do a great job up to about 90 percent, 95 percent. Same problem. Move on to the next, because now you want to move on to the other projects you're working on because you're trying to collect the big money there. Right. So, so deposits. So many lawsuits happen in that last little percentage because it's it's really the contractors and what they're chasing is the money. Right. Yeah. They mismanaged the entire project at the very end. It's all compounded now. So, so, so you know your limitations, you know your competencies, you know what kind of work you do well in. Right. You know what your, your value is. Mm -hmm. If you bid your value, if you bid within what you know doing well, you won't get into problems. If you're going to be framing contractor that's now doing pouring concrete because just it was on the table and you could have made money. I had a weekend. What's going to happen, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, so, so I think it isn't, it isn't just contracts and doing everything correctly and, per, and, and doing the preventative type of stuff we're talking about. It's also on how you operate your business and how and what you're doing, right? I get the sense that you guys contribute to some of that education for the clients as well, because now you're, it's almost like a business audit. You're paying I attention try. to, yeah, well, like what they've done. I, I've had clients where, where, look, it's like you start seeing patterns. Yeah. Like it's not just one issue, it's two issues, it's three issues. And I'm just like, what are you doing wrong, right? And I've gotten to the point where I've, I've, I've spoken to clients like you need to get X member on your team. You need something. This guy's not. Obviously, there's a common because all, all the lawsuits you have are with this project manager. Yeah. Why don't you have it with the other ones, yeah, right? Like, so, so you got to look at those patterns, right? Obviously, you got to do it as a business person. From my perspective, I'm limited, but when problems do come in 
right? And then sometimes I see commonalities with contractors. Like I have certain contractors out there in the industry. Let's say I'm dealing with sub suppliers. I had this one supplier where I started noticing this one subcontractor, contractor general, was just a very difficult personality. And I would tell my clients, like, look, like, no one, like, I'm not saying poorly about anybody, but I have had disproportionate amount of claims with this company. Is that who you want There's to sell There's got to be some reason behind is it. Is that who you want to sell to, right? Yeah, yeah. Also, that's a, so let's talk about that. Another important thing is, who are you doing work with? If you're doing work with somebody that people aren't doing work with, you got to be in the know. you got to know. There's right? a reason. If yeah. somebody's a problem, a company's a problem, don't look at how big they are, right? If they're a problem, you're prob- you may have a problem. So pick and choose who you're working with too, Right. It's almost like, yeah, you got to understand, and it's almost like a business culture at that point, right? Yeah. Where you've got to, as you being the owner of the business, you got to look at your team and figure out, you guys are all extension of my brand. You guys are representing my brand. So you need to be aware of what we're trying to build here, culture-wise. So this is how we move forward. And if not everybody's on the same team then you have to consider possibly letting go somebody or educating that person saying, this is where we want to go. Because... We've got big dreams here and we want to be able to be a big player in the game. And there's no reason why these huge corporations, when we start, there's, there's massive construction companies oh, very, yeah. in Canada, like billion dollar yep. companies, right? There's a reason how and why they got to that point. Yep. You know, they have prepared themselves. They've gotten everything taken care of and they probably have more than one harps out there that they're speaking to exactly to figure out different scopes because any big corp, uh, construction company is not just doing one type of construction they start tackling other types of construction bigger infrastructure well, that, that's the growth right, right? That's that, the growth but, but at that point if you're going into a different let's say you have you know framing company that wants to get into concrete where they're bringing all those people right yeah they're doing it in a legitimate way like let's start let's start ground up let's start small let's build our competency right Um, the one thing I would say, just going back, hitting on the point of relationships, you want your subcontractors, you want your suppliers, you want your, your workers and your employees relationships to be such that they'll go above and beyond Mm -hmm. because you're going to be stuck in a situation. You're going to be stuck in a situation where you're, you know, maybe there's a delay, maybe something happened, you know, something that maybe you caused and and you need somebody working. Okay, we need to do this on the weekend. We need to do this after hours. We need to now get in two or three shifts. You want those individuals to come for you in your time of need. And that's going to happen with relationships, right? So look, looking at that team environment, I think, is important. And I've seen some of my clients that practice that way, that do build that relationship. Like, it does matter, right? So do you, I guess you would encourage a business owner to come towards you and they got a retainer going on and they start building off by the contract. But also they should be aware and keeping you informed about here's my personnel, here's my team. This no, is no, no. Like I, I, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You I, don't need to get all that information. I don't need to and I don't want them to okay. because my bills are going to be too high. But I start learning about if I'm stuck in a, a lawsuit for you and, and you have a million dollar lien and I'm I'm litigating it and I'm 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 seeing the personalities, I'm seeing the emails, I, I start seeing the patterns. And, and, and certain companies I do multiple work for, right? Okay. So I start seeing the individuals. I start knowing them. And I've been doing work for them 10 years plus, right? Like, let's say certain clients. Corestone's going to be 10 years next year. So, And some of them I've actually been dealing with since Gibbs days, right? So yeah. so 12 years, 13 years. So, so you kind of 
but I would never encourage because at the end of the day, I'm still hourly, right? Yeah, of course. And and and, and I'm selling my hours, and and you don't, you know, you don't want to spend money where you don't need to spend money. Got it. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes if that's what you need, and, and there's an issue, I'm there, right? All depends upon the the size of the company, right? Like some companies, I look at, I'll negotiate all their contracts, right? Because they're in a level where every contract matters. It's all it's all multi million dollar contracts, right? Yeah, and, and you should be treating every job depending on the scope of the job and how big this construction budget is or whatever. Um, it should be a review of the contract, right? Yeah. Like it should not just be a general blanket contract it, for every project. It, it really depends on the type of business you're in. There are certain businesses that I would say, like where it's just cut and dry, you probably need a good contract, get one drafted. And usually a contract I like to say is 90% boilerplate. Like once you have your contract, 90% of it's always going to stay the same. What's going to change the money, you know, um, the timeline, yep. the scope of services. So yep. those are things that change, right? You, you're pretty good. You're fine. You can learn that and you move. But then the, there's certain companies that, that do a unique type of work, right? Or they're dealing with personalities like P3 projects, very large projects where there, there's massive amounts of like paperwork that are, that are not the standard CCDC, not the standard clauses. Okay. And in those situations, yeah, we got to look. We got to make sure they're liquidated damages. Or are you going to be, you took on a $2 million project, is your exposure $30 million? Right? You want to know that. I think a lot of kids that are coming up, they're like too quick to get to the million dollar job right away. And not realizing that they don't have the experience to handle a yeah. $2 million if it goes wrong. Or they haven't prepared themselves correctly yeah. for it. Which means speaking like to someone like yourself or speaking to another senior GC that has gone through similar exactly. situations. Like that's where the communication is. I almost feel as if it's like most trades don't want to have legal conversations with other trades. They don't want to because they almost think like, okay, so what pickle are you in? Like as much as they want to describe it, they're like, okay, I, let me paint a picture of a friend of a friend of a friend of mine, which everyone, I, when you start talking to somebody, you go, no, no, that's you. That's Everybody you. needs a mentor, right? Yeah. Like even, even in law, you know, fine. You know, I mentor some of the, the junior lawyers at our firm, but ultimately it's better. I go, when, if you're getting into a certain type of business, there has to be people that you can call. Even me, I have two or three people that, that I can pick up the phone and be like, pick your brain. you know, you may even know the answer, but you just want to say it out loud and, and, and make sure that the person that you're talking to is, is, you know, they've seen it more. They've been in the game for longer, right? It's also why you build relationships. And I think that doesn't, that isn't different for any profession. No, it's every industry. Every industry. Yeah. And ultimately successful people, they want other people to also be successful. I don't think there's, you know, if, if, you're, if you're Mr. Stucco and there's somebody that's doing it, you know, that, that work at a high level, they're not looking at you as competition. Trust me. They're in their own lane. No. By the time you even get in their lane, they're going to be in five more lanes. So they're usually very busy. That's the biggest problem. Trying to get, you know, but build relationships, right? Tell people, hey, just a quick phone call, five minutes, just want to pick your brain. Let me ask you something, Harvey. Like, like an interesting conversation came up recently um, where a contractor ended up hiring somebody and then he found out in a roundabout way that he was an ex-con. Now, there's certain rules regarding what he can ask or can't ask or something like that, and I'm just trying to figure out the exposure, I guess. But then I, it started leading me to having a conversation with this GC regarding alcoholism, weed, 
and all this site and and that goes to the health and safety part of it but you are getting a lot of people that are in construction that do have these vices and i don't i'm not trying to dismiss anybody that has had a past and they've been arrested and they've gone through the, the system they deserve a second chance and and get back into the workforce and and give that opportunity to them but i'm thinking is there exposure to us as a business if the client or somebody finds out will it hurt the brand will it hurt us or, yeah Okay. Uh, I, I, well, first thing is, I think on certain projects, it's a broad on on, yeah. cer- on certain projects. You you have um, sometimes the the safety and health protocols yeah. require, I think, um, clearances when it comes to you know your your criminal record. So I've seen that on some large projects, on the large projects, right? For sure. So like for you to have safety clearance to even be on the project, you have to have that. Mm-hmm. So that's already a limiting factor. I think you know. Again, I don't want to dub anybody a criminal or alcoholic. I think anything, like whenever you have any employee out there that's doing something that, that isn't to what is acceptable standard, you know, socially, yeah, you do hurt your brand. And I've seen it many times. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen it many times where I've had clients where, um, you know, subcontractor working in a GCO be like, look, you can't send this guy back to the job. There's been one too many complaints. Right. And then that's hurting you because if, if that GC is, is somebody that gives you repeat work, it's another problem. We want to hire people that aren't problems. And GC they might persuade wants, them not to give you yeah, future work, right? 100%. Because you know what? Like they may understand you have a one isolated issue is what it is. But, but if it's a reoccurring problem on more than one project, it's going to get to the point where the GC is like, you know, it may not... They may not look at your company as incompetent. It just may be like, I want to hire company Z because honestly, it's just easy. Their work gets done. I'm going to pay them both the same amount. So those are all things that I think you kind of got to consider. So just like, I guess because the thing is that you also have these conversations that if you don't bring it up as a GC, if you don't have a conversation about it, then you are not responsible as much as letting it happen you uh, didn't really do anything about it. Yeah. And that goes back to health and safety, where if you didn't have that health talk and safety talk at the start of the day, then by you not doing it, you've kind of contributed to a potential hazard. So it's your business, it's your brand. You should be aware of that. You should be aware of anything that goes on your job site. If you're you're on a large project, you have weekly meetings, bi-weekly meetings, right? With with all the stakeholders are there, let's say. And... That's an opportunity for you to, to find out, find what you need to do, you, you do your normal meeting, but there's nothing wrong in saying, hey, are we doing a good job? You know, go, go to the consultant, the engineer, the architect. Hey, is there any grievances? The architect is, is the eyes and ears for the owner, right? Yeah. And then you got the GC there, you got project. No, you're doing a great job. You know what? You can do this better. You guys are a little slow over here. Just asking them. How are we doing? Yeah, it just asking them goes to the point where they're like, oh, these people are looking, they want to improve. You may not even improve. The fact that you ask, ask. And, and you get that advice. It holds so much yeah, weight. I it, know. It does, right? Instead of just ignoring it or not even bringing it up, right? Exactly. It, so, you know, again, communication relationships are also everything, right? Having relationships with your clients, with the owners, also respecting relationships. You know, if you are a subcontractor, and, and you've been hired by a GC, you need to understand your communication, how it flows, right? You also don't want to be overzealous and then go and speak to the owner or somebody that isn't in your privity of contract, right? Because yeah. you don't want them to feel like, hey, look, I brought you here. You know, like you got a seat at the table, but it, it's there because of me. Mm-hmm. So just all these things respecting them, right? So 
we're getting close to the end, Harp, but I just I want to make sure that we cover quite a bit to just educate people that have a better understanding. And I've always said that when it comes to construction, communication comes first. You need to have a better understanding of communicating with people. It doesn't matter if it's clients, subtrades, suppliers, lawyer, accountant, everybody. It's just if you don't communicate with them, then you're just going to contribute to a potential problem later on. Right. So the, the, the number one point, when again, going back to professional engineers, we do a seminar for them, and I've done it many times over the years about professional liability. Usually a joint seminar with some of the insurance companies I do work for. And one of my main points I always say of how you get into problems is miscommunication. 100%. Totally. So, so exact flow of information is everything. Maybe you just even look into your own internal relationships. Like if you have, that's the biggest downfall of any yeah. relationship between two people, right? It's just like, you're not communicating properly. And then all of a sudden things start to go worse, right? Hey, so, so, some of the, the, the most successful businessmen, right? Look at politicians. What, what, what's one thing they all have communication, right? They have skills. They have that skill. They're performers. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, again, we don't know. It's hard to put a glimpse in somebody's heart and find out what they really are, but but they do have a certain way they carry themselves and they talk and, and, and try to understand that, that, yeah, we'll make you more successful. Um, thanks very much, Harp. I just got to do the 12 questions. Here. Yeah, yeah, Is there anything else that you want to share that I think we covered quite a gambit and, and uh, yeah. obviously I want to encourage anybody that's listening that, um, reach out. Yeah. Hopefully just, this was helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, if reach you are out, in a situation. Yeah, reach out if you, if, if, if anybody, you know, I guess you can also Google we usually try to do some seminars every year and then you can always pay for those seminars. They're not that expensive. You just subsidize like a hundred, two hundred dollars and you learn, right? I think learning is important. You're encouraging a lot of contractors to attend these and yeah, I say, why not? You know what okay. I mean? I, I feel like the, the best thing you can do is, you know, learn on your, before you've had litigation, if you just learn about the law, learn about the, 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 very, the construction act, all that, totally. you know what I mean? Totally. Learn your craft I think you put yourself in a better position. I got one last question uh, before I get into these. Um, do you have any idea how many lawyers there are across Canada? No, I don't. I was, just, I was curious about it. I, I don't. Have, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. But I'll probably somebody's going to look it up, right? So the question is how much you're practicing and how much you're not practicing. That's a good point. That's a very, very good. So I'm, I'm also curious, like, where do they go? What other industry do they go to? Hey, I, I think, again... Less stressful situation. The, the one other thing I would say is, you know, maybe it's, for me, saying there's a lot of non-practicing lawyers. I do think a law degree is one of the few degrees. And if you talk to certain people that want to be politicians, businessmen, I think it's very transferable. Mm -hmm. Because you're not particularly... Like, like, let's say you're becoming a dentist, you're learning how to become a dentist. When you're becoming a lawyer, you're... Like, all of our tests were open book. Because it wasn't really knowledge. It wasn't really knowing the law that was important. It's how do you apply? How do you reason? Yeah. How do you get to the solution? And, and essentially, that's what you're doing in whether you're a business, whether you're you know in business, whether you're a politician. So I do think a law degree is very transferable. That's a good point. Uh, Harp Cook here from www.corestone.ca. And it's uh, harp at corestone.ca. And on IG, it's corestone underscore law and his phone number is 416-731-1706 and the main line is 416-591-2222 ready for these 12 questions yep what everyday sound brings you joy every every day sound what everyday sound oh i guess the co the coffee um <laughs> the coffee being poured you can pour that sound. Yeah. Huh? What's your favorite beverage? I guess that goes towards that. My favorite beverage. I'm a big. I'm, I'm a big beer guy. So I like. Which beer? 
Um, I'm a big IPA guy. So, you know, there, there's, there's tons that I like. Um, there's one recently that I had called, it's, it's called from Willibald Brewery. It is their export lager. And I had it at Beer Town. And it's one of these beers that just like, you know how you have it? And you're just like, my God, this is like different. This What's is the really base good. taste? That, like, what, what is it that stands out? It's, it's, it, it's, it's funny. It's more of a, it, I, it is an IPA. If, if I think it's, no, it's a lager, but it tastes like an IPA. So it does have some fruit. Okay. But, but it's good. If you ever get a chance, I'm gonna try it out. Well, I mean, Beer Town's not that far from here. Yeah, yeah, there, we have one there, by my one. place now in, in, in Etobicoke too. <laughs> What's your least favorite tool? I mean, it's construction relevant, but it could be any tool in life. I Every guess. tool. Yeah. Every tool is. Uh, I, I, I have. I, I have. My, my dad's always like, "You don't have working. I have soft hands." <laughs> <laughs> what turns you on creatively? Creatively. You know, be like finding solutions. I, I, I do like listening to people's problems and finding pragmatic solutions. Uh, what word or concept do you find overused these days? Word or concept? Oh, geez. I think everything that I would say would get me into trouble. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think, we, I think we'd pass on that. <laughs> no, pass it then. What's, what's your favorite curse word? Oh, we've been keeping the show clean. You know what? It's it, it's it's the classic, the F U C K. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. What's your uh, what's your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world? Any mode of transportation? Oh, geez. Again, there's there's vehicles. I'm a big I'm a big car guy. There's vehicles out there that obviously are dream vehicles. You know, you got the Ferraris and the Lambos. But if I things that I could probably afford, I think Land Rover is is, is a brand that that has been. A bit, like that Defender I like. or like a I, that's that's what that's recently what we've been yeah, the new Defender is not bad right yeah so we that's uh, you know it's something that's in in a price range that that I can afford <laughs> and that I can have sometimes if you dream too much yeah. you know you're not happy with you're life so you gotta stay it. in yeah, a I know I know <laughs> what do you miss from your childhood what do I miss being carefree yeah, this I always lot. you know I think have first being a lawyer second having your own business. And, and being the person that kind of holds it together, like there's always something going on in my brain and there's never really a true vacation. What term or phrase resonates with you, who you are? Oh, geez. Term or phrase. I, I would say, you know, without getting, to, you know, I, I think being a, a sick, like, you know, I'm Sikh. That's yeah. what people like to say it. I think, yeah. I think being a Sikh and understanding what that means sick to me. More than it, it is Sikh. Okay, is yeah, is yeah, what you no, say. No, it, but no, we no. say Sikh generally here. Okay, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, me embodying those values is, is something that, that I think helps me in everyday life. Nice. Yeah. Uh, if you can master a skill outside of your own expertise, what would it be? I could master a skill right now. What would it be? Recently, I've really wanted to learn guitar. I think that would be... You know, if I did just like off the top of my head, I think, I think any, you know what, instrument? any musical instrument, okay, like instrument. I, I'm, I like music. Um, it's something that I never, ever did when I was a kid. You never had the opportunity, but it'd be great if I was good at something. Nice. At if the parties, you know, you pull out the guitar, you, the you, guitar. Beca you become guys, that guy. <laughs> I've had guys to leave a guitar here in the studio so they can just start using it. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a guitar guy, but see what we can do. Um, if you could speak to any historical figure, what would it be? Who would it be? And what would you ask? Oh geez, um, again going going back uh, without getting too religious, it would be it would be you know uh, one of the founders of Sikhism. I'd probably go back to him and just ask you know I. 
I don't even know if I'd ask him a question. I'd just be just just to just to be in the presence. I think. The presence of yeah, him. yeah. Maybe shake his hand. Yeah, that's all. That's it. Last question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Well, I've been waiting for you, and with a big smile, right? <laughs> that's a nice one, actually. No, no one's ever put it that way. I like that. Harp Cook, thank you so much, man. Honestly, yeah. pre- pleasure to finally meet you. And I know we've spoken on uh, video calls, and yeah. uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and sharing so much. And, hey, thank uh, you for giving me your platform, and, oh, I, and I I'm, I'm very happy that you have this platform. I think, you know, you you disseminate information, which is what's needed, yeah, which is great. So hopefully it doesn't get me into too much trouble. If it does, I'll give you a call. <laughs> but triple hey, w- jo- Joe Cor- Rogan's doing fine. I'm sure you do okay. Corestone. I think he just ignores everybody. That's a lesson that I learned. Corestone.ca and it's harp at corestone.ca or, or info at corestone.ca. And on IG, it's corestone underscore law. And his phone number is 416-731-1706. And the main line is 416-591-2222. Thanks very much, Harp. Thank you. We out of here, Angelina.